0: Section 20 of the Natural History, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. The Natural History, Volume 2, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 20. Chapters 13-22. through 22. Chapter 13. Dragons. Ethiopia produces dragons, not so large as those of India, but still 20 cubits in length. The only thing that surprises me is how Juba came to believe that they have crests. The Ethiopians are known as the Asache, among whom they most abound, and we are told that on those coasts four or five of them are found twisted and interlaced together like so many osiers in a hurdle and thus setting sail with their heads erect they are borne along upon the waves to find better sources of nourishment in arabia chapter fourteen serpents of remarkable size megasthenes informs us that in india serpents grow to such an immense size as to swallow stags and bulls while Metrodorus says that about the river rindacus in pontus they seize and swallow the birds that are flying above them however high and however rapid their flight it is a well-known fact that during the punic war at the river brigada a serpent one hundred and twenty feet in length was taken by the roman army under regulus being besieged like a fortress by means of ballistae and other engines of war its skin and jaws were preserved in a temple at rome down to the time of the numantine war the serpents which in italy are known by the name of boa render these accounts far from incredible for they grow to such a vast size that a child was found entire in the stomach of one of them which was killed on the Vaticanian hill during the reign of the emperor Claudius. These are nourished in the first instance with the milk of the cow, and from this they take their name. As to the other animals which have been of late repeatedly brought to Italy from all parts of the world, it is quite unnecessary to give any minute account of their form. CHAPTER Fifteen: THE ANIMALS OF SCYTHIA, THE BISON Scythia produces but very few animals, in consequence of the scarcity of shrubs. Germany, which lies close adjoining it, has not many animals, though it has some very fine kinds of wild oxen, the bison, which has a mane, and the urus, possessed of remarkable strength and swiftness. To these the vulgar, in their ignorance, have given the name of bubilus, whereas that animal is really produced in Africa, and rather bears a resemblance to the calf and the stag. CHAPTER Sixteen: THE ANIMALS OF THE NORTH, THE ELK, THE ACHLUS, AND THE BONASUS. The North, too, produces herds of wild horses, as Africa and Asia do of the wild asses. There is also the elk, which strongly resembles our steers, except that it is distinguished by the length of the ears and of the neck. There is also the oklas, which is produced in the island of Scandinavia. It has never been seen in this city, although we have had descriptions of it from many persons. It is not unlike the elk, but has no joints in the hind leg. Hence it never lies down, but reclines against a tree while it sleeps. It can only be taken by previously cutting into the tree, and thus laying a trap for it. As otherwise it would escape through its swiftness its upper lip is so extremely large for which reason it is obliged to go backwards when grazing otherwise by moving onwards the lip would get doubled up in peonia it is said there is a wild animal known as the bonassus it has the mane of the horse but is in other respects like the bull with horns however, so much bent inwards upon each other as to be of no use for the purposes of combat. It has, therefore, to depend upon its flight, and while in the act of flying, it sends forth its excrements, sometimes to a distance of even three ugera, the contact of which burns those who pursue the animal, just like a kind of fire. Chapter 17 Lions how they are produced it is a remarkable fact that pards panthers lions and other animals of this kind walk with the points of their nails concealed in a sheath in the body lest they should be broken or blunted and that when they run their hooked claws are turned backwards and are never extended except in the act of seizing their prey the noble appearance of the lion is more especially to be seen in that species which has the neck and shoulders covered with a mane which is always acquired at the proper age by those produced from a lion while on the other hand those that are the offspring of the pard are always without this distinction the female also has no mane the sexual passions of these animals are very violent and render the male quite furious. This is especially the case in Africa, where, in consequence of the great scarcity of water, the wild beasts assemble in great numbers on the banks of a few rivers. This is also the reason why so many curious varieties of animals are produced there, the males and females of various species coupling promiscuously with each other. Hence arose the saying, which was common in Greece even, that Africa is always producing something new. The lion recognizes by the peculiar odor of the pard, when the lioness has been unfaithful to him, and avenges himself with the greatest fury. Hence it is that the female, when she has been guilty of a lapse, washes herself, or else follows the lion at a considerable distance. I find that it was a common belief that the lioness is able to bear young no more than once, because while delivering herself, she tears her womb with her claws. Aristotle, however, gives a different account, a man of whom I think that I ought here to make some further mention, seeing that upon these subjects I intend in a great measure to make him my guide. Alexander the Great, being inflamed with a strong desire to become acquainted with the natures of animals, entrusted the prosecution of this design to Aristotle, a man who held the highest rank in every branch of learning, for which purpose he placed, under his command, some thousands of men in every region of Asia and Greece, and, comprising all those who followed the business of hunting, fowling, or fishing, or those who had the care of parks herds of cattle the breeding of bees fish-ponds and aviaries in order that no creature that was known to exist might escape his notice by means of the information which he obtained from these persons he was enabled to compose some fifty volumes which are deservedly esteemed on the subject of animals of these i propose to give an epitome together with other facts with which aristotle was unacquainted and i beg the kind indulgence of my readers in their estimate of this work of mine as by my aid they hastily travel through all the works of nature and through the midst of subjects with which the most famous of all kings so ardently desired to be acquainted aristotle then informs us that the lioness at the first birth produces five whelps and one less every succeeding year, until, after having produced one only, she ceases to bear. The young ones, when first born, are shapeless and extremely small in flesh, being no larger than a weasel. For six months they are scarcely able to walk, and until they are two months old they cannot move. Lions, he says, are found in Europe, but only between the rivers Aeschylus and Nestus, BEING MUCH SUPERIOR IN STRENGTH TO THOSE WHICH ARE PRODUCED IN AFRICA OR SYRIA. CHAPTER 18: THE DIFFERENT SPECIES OF LIONS. THERE ARE TWO SPECIES OF LIONS. IN THE ONE, THE BODY IS SHORTER AND MORE COMPACT, AND THE mane MORE CRISP AND CURLY. THESE ARE MORE TIMID THAN THOSE WITH A LONGER BODY AND STRAIGHT HAIR, WHICH, IN FACT, HAVE NO FEAR OF WOUNDS. The males raise the leg like the dog when they pass their urine, which has a most disagreeable odor, the same being the case too with their breath. They seldom drink and only take food every other day. When they have gorged themselves, they will sometimes go without food for three days. They swallow their food whole without mastication, as far as they are able. And when they have taken more than the stomach can possibly receive, they extract part of it by thrusting their claws into the throat, the same too if, when full, they have occasion to take to flight. That they are very long-lived is proved by the fact that many of them are found without teeth. Polybius, the companion of Emilianus, tells us that when they become aged, they will attack men, as they have no longer sufficient strength for the pursuit of wild beasts. It is then that they lay siege to the cities of Africa, and for this reason it was that he, as well as Scipio, had seen some of them hung upon a cross, it being supposed that others, through dread of a similar punishment, might be deterred from committing the like outrages. CHAPTER nineteen: THE PECULIAR CHARACTER OF THE LION The lion is the only one of all the wild beasts that shows mercy to the suppliant after it has conquered, it will spare, and, when enraged, it will vent its fury rather upon men than women, and never upon children, unless when greatly pressed by hunger. It is the belief in Libya that it fully understands the entreaties which are addressed to it. At all events I have heard it asserted as a fact that a female slave, who is returning from Getulia, was attacked by a number of lions in the forests, upon which she summoned sufficient courage to address them, and said that she was a woman, a fugitive, helpless creature, that she implored the compassion of the most generous of animals, the one that has the command of all the others, and that she was a prey unworthy of their high repute, and by these means effectually soothed their ferocity. There are various opinions on this point as to whether it is through some peculiar disposition of the animal, or merely by accident, that their fury is thus soothed by addressing them. As to what is alleged, too, about serpents, that they can be drawn from their holes by singing, and thus be made to yield themselves up to death, the truth or falsity of it has not by any means been satisfactorily ascertained. THE TAIL OF THE LION GIVES INDICATION OF THE STATE OF HIS FEELINGS, JUST AS THE EARS DO IN THE HORSE, FOR THESE ARE THE DISTINGUISHING SIGNS WHICH NATURE HAS GIVEN TO EACH OF THE MOST GENEROUS OF ANIMALS. HENCE IT IS THAT, WHEN PLEASED, THE TAIL IS WITHOUT MOTION, AND THE ANIMAL fawns UPON THOSE WHO CARESS HIM, A THING, HOWEVER, THAT VERY RARELY HAPPENS, FOR HIS MOST FREQUENT STATE IS THAT OF RAGE. He begins by beating the earth with his tail and as he becomes more furious he lashes his sides as if trying to excite himself his greatest strength is situate in the breast from every wound that he makes whether it is with his claws or his teeth a black blood issues when his hunger is satisfied he becomes harmless the generous disposition of the lion is more especially manifested in time of danger not only at the moment when despising all weapons he long defends himself solely by the terror which he inspires and protests as it were that he is compelled thus to defend himself but when he rises at last not as though constrained by danger but as if enraged by the mad folly of his adversaries this however is a still more noble feature of his courage however numerous the dogs and hunters may be that press upon him as he makes his retreat he comes to a stand every now and then upon the level plain while he is still in view and scowls contemptuously upon them but as soon as ever he has entered the thickets and dense forests he scours away at the swiftest possible pace as though aware that the place itself will shelter his shame when in pursuit the lion advances with a leap but he does not do so when in flight when wounded he discovers with wonderful sagacity the person who struck the blow and will find him out however great may have been the multitude of his pursuers if a person has thrown a dart at him but has failed to inflict a wound the animal seizes him whirls him round and throws him to the ground but without wounding him when the lioness is defending her whelps, it is said that she fixes her eyes steadily on the ground, that she may not be frightened at the spears of the hunters. In all other respects, these animals are equally free from deceit and suspicion. They never look at an object obliquely, and they dislike being looked at themselves in such a manner. It is generally believed that, when the lion is dying, he bites at the earth and sheds tears at his fate. Powerful, however, and fierce as this animal is, he is terrified by the motion of wheels or of an empty chariot, and still more on seeing the crest or hearing the crowing of a cock. But most of all is he afraid of fire. The only malady to which the lion is subject is loss of appetite, this, however, is cured by putting insults upon him, by means of the pranks of monkeys placed about him, a thing which rouses his anger. Immediately he tastes their blood, he is relieved. Chapter 20. Who it was that first introduced combats of lions at Rome, and who has brought together the greatest number of lions for that purpose? Quintus Sivola, the son of Publius Sivola, when he was Curule Idil, was the first to exhibit at Rome a combat of a number of lions. And Lucius Sulla, who was afterwards dictator, during his praetorship, gave the spectacle of a fight of one hundred lions with manes. After him, Pompeius Magnus exhibited six hundred lions in the circus, three hundred and fifteen of which had manes. Caesar, the dictator, exhibited four hundred. Chapter 21. Wonderful Feats Performed by Lions. It was formerly a very difficult matter to catch the lion, and it was mostly done by means of pitfalls. In the reign, however, of the emperor Claudius, accident disclosed a method which appears most disgraceful to the name of such an animal. A Catullian shepherd stopped a lion that was rushing furiously upon him, by merely throwing his cloak over the animal, a circumstance which afterwards afforded an exhibition in the arena of the circus, when the frantic fury of the animal was paralyzed in a manner almost incredible by a light covering being thrown over its head, so much so that it was put into chains without the least resistance. We must conclude, therefore, that all its strength lies in its eyes." This circumstance renders what was done by Lysimachus less wonderful, who strangled a lion with which he had been shut up by the command of Alexander. Antony subjected lions to the yoke, and was the first at Rome to harness them to his chariot, and this during the civil war, after the battle on the plains of Pharsalia, not indeed without a kind of ominous presage, a prodigy that, foretold at the time, how the generous spirits were about to be subdued but to have himself drawn along in this manner in company with the actress cytheris was a thing that surpassed even the most monstrous spectacles that were to be seen in that calamitous period it is said that hanno one of the most illustrious of the carthaginians was the first who ventured to touch the lion with the hand and to exhibit it in a tame state it was on this account that he was banished for it was supposed that a man so talented and so ingenious would have it in his power to persuade the people to anything and it was looked upon as unsafe to trust the liberties of the country to one who had so eminently triumphed over even ferocity itself there are some fortuitous occurrences cited also which have given occasion to these animals to display their natural clemency. Mentor, a native of Syracuse, was met in Syria by a lion who rolled before him in a suppliant manner. Though smitten with fear and desirous to escape, the wild beast on every side opposed his flight, and licked his feet with a fawning air. Upon this, Mentor observed on the paw of the lion a swelling and a wound. From which after extracting a splinter he relieved the creature's pain there is a picture at syracuse which bears witness to the truth of this transaction in the same manner too elpis a native of samos on landing from a vessel on the coast of africa observed a lion near the beach opening his mouth in a threatening manner upon which he climbed a tree in the hope of escaping while at the same time he invoked the aid of father liber for it is the appropriate time for invocations when there is no room left for hope the wild beast did not pursue him as he fled although he might easily have done so but lying down at the foot of the tree by the open mouth which had caused so much terror tried to excite his compassion a bone while he was devouring his food with too great avidity had stuck fast between his teeth and he was perishing with hunger such being the punishment inflicted upon him by his own weapons every now and then he would look up and supplicate him as it were with mute entreaties elpis not wishing to risk trusting himself to so formidable a beast remained stationary for some time more at last from astonishment than from fear at length however he descended from the tree and extracted the bone the lion in the meanwhile extending his head and aiding in the operation as far as it was necessary for him to do the story goes on to say that as long as the vessel remained off that coast the lion showed his sense of gratitude by bringing whatever he had chanced to procure in the chase in the memory of this circumstance, Elpis consecrated a temple at Samos to Father Liber, which the Greeks, from the circumstance above related, called the Temple Kechinotos Dioniso, or of the open mouthed Bacchus. Can we wonder after this that the wild beasts should be able to recognize the footsteps of man? When of him alone of all animals they even hope for aid for why should they not have recourse to others for assistance or how is it that they know that the hand of man has power to heal them unless perhaps it is that the violence of pain can force wild beasts even to risk everything to obtain relief demetrius the natural philosopher relates an equally remarkable instance in relation to a panther the animal was lying in the middle of the road waiting for someone to pass that way when he was suddenly perceived by the father of one philinus an ardent lover of wisdom seized with fear he immediately began to retreat while the beast rolled itself before him evidently with the desire of caressing him at the same time manifesting signs of grief which could not be misunderstood in a panther even the animal had young ones which had happened to fall into a pit at some distance from the place the first dictates of compassion banished all fear and the next prompted him to assist the animal he accordingly followed her as she gently drew him on by fixing her claws in his garment and as soon as he discovered what was the cause of her grief and at the price of his own safety he took the whelps out of the pit AND THEY FOLLOWED HER TO THE END OF THE DESERT whither HE WAS ESCORTED BY HER FRISKING WITH JOY AND GLADNESS IN ORDER THAT SHE MIGHT MORE APPROPRIATELY TESTIFY HOW GRATEFUL SHE WAS AND HOW LITTLE SHE HAD GIVEN HIM IN RETURN, A MODE OF ACTING WHICH IS BUT RARELY FOUND AMONG MEN EVEN. CHAPTER 22 A MAN RECOGNIZED AND SAVED BY A DRAGON facts such as these induce us to give some credit to what democritus relates who says that a man called thoas was preserved in arcadia by a dragon when a boy he had become much attached to it and had reared it very tenderly but his father being alarmed at the nature and monstrous size of the reptile had taken and left it in the desert thoas being here attacked by some robbers who lay in ambush was delivered from them by the dragon, which recognized his voice and came to his assistance. But as to what has been said respecting infants who have been exposed and nourished by the milk of wild beasts, as in the case of the founders of our city by a wolf, I am disposed to attribute such cases as these rather to the greatness of the destinies which have to be fulfilled than to any peculiarity in the nature of the animals themselves end of section 20